It is such a pleasure to have Sally Fallon Morell from the Weston A. Price Foundation. She's the president on today. I'm a huge fan of the Weston A. Price Foundation, and I encourage everyone to check out their work. They, just like us here at We the Patriots USA, are on a mission to educate the public and what's happening. And, you know, we have sort of a theme over the past few episodes talking about the toxins that are um, infiltrating our children from all different aspects from the vaccines and food and milk and everything that they consume. So Sally's here to to show us and tell us about some of these myths that we've all experienced in our lives, all these different marketing campaigns that have led us down the road to believe that we should be feeding and raising up our children in a certain way. And why traditionally that's not always been the case. It's just been, you know, when big food, big pharma and big ag, the big three uh, teamed up together. And she also talks about in the Bible where we were told that this was going to happen in Revelations. And it's just a very wonderful um, and insightful conversation, as always, with the um, with the very famous Sally Fallon Morell. I am so excited to introduce you all to her here today. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Sally, thank you so much for joining us today here on Faithful Freedom. You know, you bear no introduction to probably <laughs> most of the members of our audience being the president of the Weston A. Price Foundation and an author of two Nourishing Traditions books. And one that I really want to hone in on today um, is the the book that you have geared toward babies and, and women that are, um, you know, that are pregnant or going to become pregnant because we kind of have a theme going on the past few episodes here with Zen Honeycutt having appeared talking about the toxic the toxins that we see in school lunches. Well, you guys and you in particular have been sounding the alarm on the toxins that we find in so many so much of our baby food and um, the way that we raise up our babies these days when it comes to food. So um, you know, just let's start generically and talk about what it is that that you in particular and the Weston A. Price Foundation have discovered in your um, in your research about these baby foods? Well, let's start first with Dr. Weston Price, whom, mm -hmm. after whom we're named, who studied traditional cultures back in the 30s and 40s. And what he found in every culture was a big emphasis on how, uh, how to have healthy babies. Uh, they all understood that you needed extra nutrition for having healthy babies. And this nutrition started six months before conception for both the men and women. And it, these, they were special, we call them sacred foods that they ate uh, during, uh, before conception, during pregnancy, during um, lactation, and then when the child was growing. Because in this period, that's when it, when it all counts. You know, once you get to be an adult, you might be able to improve your health with a good diet, but you cannot change your structure and you cannot change the integrity of your organs. That's all, that starts even before conception. 
So these foods were all the foods that were being told not to eat, these sacred foods. They were foods uh, very nutrient-dense, very high in fats, and very high in what we call fat-soluble vitamins. Uh, foods like butter from grass-fed cows. Liver was a sacred food in almost all traditional cultures. <clears throat> um, animal fats, uh, organ meats, eggs, uh, another sacred food, especially in Asian cultures, but all over the world. And um, certain types of seafood like uh, shellfish, uh, fish eggs was a sacred food in many cultures. So this is what we teach our moms. Also milk, uh, raw milk from pastured animals, raw whole milk. <clears throat> so uh, these are the foods that you need to stress before you get pregnant, the mothers and the fathers because the quality of the sperm depends on good nutrition. And then the mother needs to build up her stores, especially of vitamin A uh, uh, before she gets pregnant because vitamin A is the concert master fetal development. It directs everything that happens in the fetus, the um, transition from stem cells to cells of all the organs. So, so how does that work out practically? Um, let's fast forward to your baby's born. Hopefully you've done all these things. You have a very beautiful, healthy baby. Of course, you should breastfeed if you can, uh, but we are very um, um, understanding of women who can't breastfeed. Some mothers just don't have enough milk, whatever, they're unhealthy, whatever. So we have a homemade baby formula that's based on whole foods. It's based on whole raw milk with some things added to it to make it more like mother's milk. And then you get to four to six months of age and what should you start feeding babies? So uh, that's where we- <laughs> Yeah, and I would- I disagree <laughs> with what's being told to the moms. The moms are told to give these babies pureed fruit. Um, it's just like giving them candy. It's just all carbs, you know? Uh, the first foods that we recommend for babies are um, a pastured egg yolk and pureed liver. Uh, these are the two most nutrient dense foods that you can give a baby and you give put them in a very good start and you should be making these. You should never buy um, baby food. Yeah, the, the toxins that you all have found in these baby foods, even the ones that say that they are organic, there's still oh, yeah. other yeah. toxins in those. Am I correct? Yes. Well, first of all, they're packaged in plastic or aluminum. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be some migration into the food. You don't want to start your baby off on plastics and aluminum. You know, aluminum is one of the most toxic elements out there, very toxic to the brain. So you need to make your uh, own baby foods and uh, you know freeze them in small quantities. It's not hard. And you know I've had moms say, "Well, that's too much trouble. That's too much work." You know my response to that is, "Why have you had a baby? <laughs> Raising Babies children is a lot of work for 18 years, and if you want them to be healthy, you're going to need to prepare their own food for 18 years." And like so, you said, the, it's so important. <laughs> it's so yeah. important now too because of the building blocks um, yes. that you're setting your child up for. And I myself, I have a two and a half year old, and I have an eleven month old. And I followed much of what you, um, your recommendations for those first foods for baby. And I, so I just want to help mothers out and and tell them that 
A, it's not a whole lot of extra work and B, because I was giving my baby eggs and meat and, and, um, butter and those things right off the bat. It's basically what you're already eating, you know, what you should be already eating. So it's really just kind of, um, making it and pureeing it at first. Now he's 11 months and for several months, he's been eating meat just the way that we do in small pieces. Yeah, exactly. It's not, doesn't last long period, Mm -hmm. maybe maybe five or six months at the most where you're making the purees. Mm-hmm. Uh, but believe me, it's really worth it to get them off to a good start. You'll save yourself so much time in the future because your kids are healthy and smart and strong and growing normally. Uh, another thing I'm very concerned about is this idea that babies shouldn't get salt, uh, that pregnant women shouldn't eat salt. Salt is essential for life and it is absolutely critical for neurological development. So um, you should put salt in baby's food. That This is one of the ways in which modern cultures have an advantage over the past because before it was sometimes very hard to get salt. Absolutely. And you also, one thing that um, I think is very interesting and people would be probably shocked to hear is that you don't recommend grains until almost a year old for the for the children and so much of the advice that we get nowadays yeah. is they actually say the first foods for baby should be you know that rice, rice cereal, cereal or the oatmeal yeah and of course now it's very embarrassing because they found the rice cereal is full of arsenic uh yeah grains you know babies i think the thing first thing you need to realize is babies have an immature digestive system and they just don't have the enzymes and other things online to uh, digest grains. Same with egg whites. They should only get the yolks until they're a year old. And um, then when you do introduce grains, they need to be soaked uh, overnight uh, so that they're easier to digest. So you soak your oatmeal overnight in something, a little bit acidic, and you cook them well, and you feed those to babies with salt and butter. Uh, then they'll be digestible for the baby and they'll like them. But if if you give them, you know, these rough grains before their guts have matured, you're just setting them up for, you know, digestive problems all their life. And we see that even with adults, you know, having issues when they don't, you know, do sourdough or, or soak their, their grains or whatnot, yes. they even have issues. So let alone yes, babies. It's epidemic, uh, irritable bowel syndrome and Crohn's disease and so forth. <clears throat> and this is because, well, one of the reasons is because we're not preparing our grains properly. Yes. And I love all of the work that you guys do at Weston A. Price Foundation to educate people on all of that. And so that's why we want to have you here because <laughs> on our education arm of We the Patriots USA to talk about these things. And I also want to talk about, you know, sort of some of the myths that we hear and the origins of some of these recommendations that we've all um, become so accustomed with, with raising our children, because um, much of like what we're finding out with the recommendations that we've been given um, as adults or with our diets or with vaccines or shots or whatever you want to call them, we're all starting to figure out, okay, um, these don't have the innocent origins necessarily that we think that they have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So basically uh, starting about 1913 with the invention of Crisco, there was a huge advertising campaign to get people to use these fake fats instead of the healthy traditional fats like butter and lard. 
and um, this just has been building ever since. The all the processed foods are based on seed oils. Um, I just was reading something this morning in animal studies where you give give animals the same calories, two groups exactly the same calories. The ones that get the seed oils rather than the animal fats, uh, they get obese, mm -hmm. and it's the same number of calories. So you definitely want to um, make sure your growing children are not getting any of these oils. And of course, they're in all processed food. Yeah, read the labels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something else that I'm very concerned about that's not necessarily on the label. So all of these processed foods, uh, if you see flavors or artificial flavors or natural flavors, it's almost certainly MSG is hidden in there. Now, MSG is not benign. It is uh, very damaging to the hormonal system of the growing child. MSG targets the hypothalamus, the master organ. And the hypothalamus is the seat of impulse control. So you're giving babies, uh, you know, first baby food, um, um, processed milk, processed foods, they're getting MSG all the time. And what are we seeing today in our children? Lack of impulse control. And this, I believe, is directly attributable to the MSG in the food. And that's even, you know, as a nursing mother myself, like wanting to pay attention to also what I'm consuming, because you pass things like that along you through do. your breast milk. You absolutely do. Yes. And uh, another interesting myth that I've stumbled upon, um, you know, going through your your research that I'd like to highlight to people is formula. And you all have been wonderful advocates, especially during the formula shortage, trying to help mothers um, come about creating their own um, homemade formula. And, you know, my people that listen to this podcast know that I'm a big advocate for raw milk. I think it's really important that moms, kids, the whole family, um, we've seen just tremendous increases in our family's health by, by drinking it. But um, it's interesting because formula you know, the, uh, excuse me, the, the formula that you buy in the store, um, doesn't have much of, or any cholesterol, whereas no cholesterol, no cholesterol. Whereas if you get form formula for animals, like for a cow or whatnot, yeah. it has cholesterol in it. What's up with that? Yeah. So a uh, mother's milk is very rich in cholesterol and contains special enzymes to ensure that the baby absorbs a hundred percent of that cholesterol. And, uh, the scientists know this because in milk replacement for animals, the third ingredient is animal fat to, to provide them cholesterol. See, the babies can't make cholesterol till they're older and they need it for neurological development, for their brains, for their guts, for their skin, for hormonal production and babies do make hormones uh, and they make these hormones out of cholesterol. So um, human formula, is based on vegetable oils and skim milk. And even the crunchy organic goat milk formulas are made with skim milk. Uh, to me, this is, this is a crime against humanity. Uh, and they, they know better. We've had people in the industry tell us, we, we know there should be cholesterol in this formula, but it's not. And this is just doing such a terrible thing to our growing children. It's no wonder that the IQ is going down, that their behavior is going down, that, uh, that they have all of these uh, difficulties and uh, maturation difficulties. 
Why do you think they aren't including the cholesterol? Is it expensive to put that in there? Is it, it a cost? It is. So if the cholesterol would normally come from animal fats and whole milk. Mm -hmm. And animal fats are more expensive than vegetable oils. And they have spent the last hundred years telling people that animal fats are bad. So, and, uh, but they could use whole milk. But the thing is, the accountants have figured out that they make a lot more money from the butter fat if they put it into ice cream than if they leave it in the whole milk for growing children or school children. So it's all about the bottom line. And what they want is uh, children to have skim milk. And by the time evening comes along, they're starving for fats. And they go to the freezer and they eat a half a gallon of ice cream with all that sugar. So um, it's, it's it, <laughs> I cannot find the words to say how horrible this practice is. Yeah, it seems so um, more calculated than many people even realize. Yeah, they exactly. And so the dairy industry is happy for children to have skim milk in the schools. Yes. Yeah. In, in they, school it's lunches. It's a financial thing for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In school lunches, you see a lot of that and uh, how it's all skim or 1% in, instead of whole milk. Well, yeah. And it, and the kids hate the skim milk. Mm -hmm. They just hate it. It tastes like water and they should hate it because you need that fat in there to make it wholesome. But so what they get is chocolate milk. And the chocolate milk is made with spray dried skim milk, sugar, they add vegetable oils and then flavorings, mm -hmm. you know, it's less than 1% chocolate in there. I mean, even, even if chocolate were good <laughs> all flavorings and that's where the MSG is. And isn't any wonder these kids can't sit still. They can't control themselves. We had a situation in Virginia recently where a six-year-old took a gun to school and shot his teacher six years old <laughs> that is so young to even to even fathom that a that a six-year-old would do that yeah and you know it's a six-year-old it's <laughs> you can't give them the responsibility on that you know that's there's a lot of environmental factors that go into a six-year-old doing something like that yeah yeah and uh, it was a it's a complicated situation because sure. It had been reported that there was a child in the school with a gun, but the administrators did nothing. So they have they have problems too. Absolutely, right either. But what uh, the point is, this is just a symptom mm -hmm. of what's wrong with the diets that our children are getting. Yeah, it definitely plays into the behavioral aspect of yes. it all. And you know, another another thing that I want to hit on because. Here at We the Patriots USA, we have our annual Vaccine Safety Awareness Marathon. They've been doing this for several years, 24 hours straight of doctors and experts in the field coming on and, you know, sharing data with, with parents um, about these childhood vaccines. Obviously, it's kind of transformed a little bit into the COVID uh, shot mm -hmm. as well, has been a part of these uh, marathons. But you all do so much to talk about that. And you know, now that we're all aware of this mRNA technology, this is something that they're trying to put in more of these childhood vaccines um, into the RSV vaccine that they're developing, you know, tell people and, and, and let people know what is going on in this, this area. Well, the vaccines are, first of all, not necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, they are for diseases that are mild in well-nourished children. And instead of teaching good nutrition, 
they're pumping them full of these vaccines, which contain a lot of poisons, especially aluminum. A uh, child, fully vaccinated child has got way more aluminum than is considered safe, even by the conventional medical field. And, um, you know, they are very dangerous, very damaging to the children. And as I say, the emphasis should be on good nutrition. But of course, that puts the um, responsibility on the parent. And a lot of parents don't want that responsibility. They pass that off to the medical associations. You protect my child with these toxic vaccinations. And yes, the, um, the thinking now is that they're gonna do these MNRA vaccines, which will do things via your DNA and your RNA. Um, I think the whole premise of that is flawed, but for sure, uh, these are going to be even more toxic than what, what we've had before. And like you said, they're putting them in these vaccines. You know, I just mentioned RSV, you know, that's something that your children, if would, you know, they would tackle their immune system would theoretically tackle RSV just fine. And they move forward with a more robust immune system after, you know, getting RSV or, or whatnot. It seems like so much, so many of these vaccines boil down to convenience, right? Trying to prevent your child from, you know, getting diarrhea or, or certain yeah. things like that. And, yeah. um, no, yeah. the, my, the normal childhood illnesses, I don't call them diseases are, mm -hmm. they serve a purpose. They strengthen the resilience of the child, a child who gets measles, uh, is much less likely to get cancer later in life. So these childhood diseases have a purpose uh, and you should let your children have them. Uh, mumps is a perfect example. Children should have mumps when they're children because if a boy gets mumps when he's an adult, it's pretty serious. Um, but if your child beyond the mild childhood diseases is sick all the time, no vaccine is going to solve that. It's, it's the universe telling you, mom, uh, you need to feed your child better. A uh, little example in our neighborhood, um, a child had become addicted to macaroni and cheese and that's all he would eat. And that's because of the MSG and the addiction technologies and all these foods. And they were desperate. He was losing weight. Nobody knew what to do. And we um, provide raw milk at our farm and they came and this was a very conventional family. But the, you know, the illness of this child made them think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And they started giving raw milk to this child and he um, started gaining weight, got color in his cheeks, you know, it's really thriving. Now I still haven't figured out how to uh, get over get him off the mac and cheese, and cheese but <laughs> uh, at least, uh, and this is what I say about raw milk, you know, none of us is a perfect parent and all of our mm -hmm. children are going to have junk food at some point. That's just the nature Absolutely. of the modern world. But when they get the raw milk, uh, it's like an insurance policy. You know, it's got everything in it. It's so healthy for the children, um, gives them calcium for their bones and, you know, vitamin A for their uh, hormone production. And um, it's just, it's like, you know, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief. At least, you know, they're getting this one perfect food. 
Absolutely. And like I said, I, I feel like I'm a, a testament for raw milk. You know, my children, they, you know, they get the sniffles and things like that every now and then, but for the most part, they are not getting sick, you know, and they're around other kids. They go to Sunday school, they play yeah. on the playground with others, you know, they're exposed to other kids and they're just not getting sick the yeah. way that, that the kids around them are. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing I would say to parents is please try to minimize the Wi-Fi, the exposure to uh, electromagnetic radiation in your house. Uh, and you can get any um, geek person to do this for you instead of having the Wi-Fi you, you plug in. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so all of the computers and everything are plugged in and you're not being bathed in this all the time. Yeah. And so many of our TVs are, you know, hardwired in as well. And yeah, if you need, it's just like plugging in a TV. So mm -hmm. you can do that with your computers too. Yeah. And for us at just a little advice for us, you know, every now and then we do have to have Wi-Fi on in our home, but we have a little, um, switch, you know, what you plug in just like Christmas lights or whatever, you can turn them on and off like the yeah. switch. And so that's what we do. We turn our Wi-Fi router on and off throughout the day. Yeah. And especially at night you can turn it off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, talking about all of this, so many people, if they haven't ventured quite down into the into the data and the research that Weston A. Price has done or, um, you know, haven't been quite exposed to all of this and they hear me sometimes talking about raw milk or, or whatnot here on the podcast or the different toxins that are in so many of these processed foods, you know, for so many people and you know, rightfully so, we've been so trained by yeah. the marketing and everything that big food and big ag and big pharma, because they're all, uh, they're all, you know, owned by the same people, um, talk about. And so I just want you to talk a little bit about the irony and how in today's world, you know, raw milk, um, you know, backyard chickens, things like that are seen as strange and weird, whereas highly processed foods, um, vaccines that are not necessary for children, those are seen as the standard and what people should be doing. Um, how ironic is it that that's kind of the backward stigma that we have? <laughs> well, it was predicted. It's in the book of Revelations, where yes. they talk about the mighty man of the earth and their sorcery. And when you look up the word sorcery, it's pharmacopoeia, it's pharmacy. Uh -huh. So the Red Book of Revelations looked forward, saw this age in the future where the big, powerful people in the world were foisting pharmaceuticals. And, and I include the food in that, mm -hmm. the processed food too. So that's the sorcery. And this is something that we need to learn to recognize and to have the will and the courage to um, say no to. And of course, there's going to be a big uh, push to make it seem weird or you're not part of the group or, uh, you know, you're a Trump supporter or whatever. <laughs> when we opposed masks at the foundation, we got all these angry emails mm -hmm. saying you're supposed to be non-political how come you're supporting trump i said we didn't say anything about trump we just said these masks are dangerous and they don't work so yeah so there is um you know a very well calculated campaign to keep you in the matrix so to speak and to keep you believing in what you're being told and so much of 
if you just hone in only on the the food and pharmaceutical aspect of what we're talking about, this is such a unifying topic because, you know, if you take the topic of regenerative farming, for example, um, you get people from all across the political spectrum that are interested in this. You know, I always, I love our conferences because we have, you know, the sort of conservative types and the blue bloods, and then we have people with tattoos and hippie types because Mm -hmm. this unites us all. We all want to have healthy children. We all want to be healthy ourselves. And it's slowly dawning on people one at a time that what you're hearing in the media is going to make you unhealthy is not the road to health. And I think so many people are starting to wake up to that because of what we're seeing with, um, you know, the different fires and things that are happening in our animal processing plants, the egg crisis, you know, people are seeing that their food, their traditional food sources are under attack. It's a war going on. Mm -hmm. Now we have something, and and by the way, um, you're not going to change this from the top. You're not going to change the law or anything like that. But as educated consumers, we are actually the greatest force on earth. And our strategy is to encourage people to buy real food from farmers and artisans. So we have something called the 50% campaign, uh, where you pledge to spend 50% of your food dollar on local food from farmers and you know people doing this locally. And uh, the other 50%, we say celebrate how small the world has become. If you want to buy pineapple and rice and all those great things, that's fine too. But uh, at least 50% of your food dollars spend on the local farms. It's the only way they're going to survive. Uh, It's the only way we are going to have a local healthy food system that survives and it grows. So uh, I just ask all your listeners to take the pledge, you know, 50%. I love that. I think that that's very doable for most people. Yes, it is. It's not asking you to go sell your house and go be a homesteader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some people have done that. It's not asking you to go buy a cow. It's not asking you to change. You can still live in an apartment in Brooklyn and do this. And um, it, it would make just a, such a huge difference if everybody did this. I agree. Well, we'll tell people to go take the pledge at the Weston A. Price Foundation on their website. Anything else you want to highlight that um, people can check out as we close uh, out? Realmilk.com. If you're looking for raw milk, um, our traffic at Real Milk has just exploded in the last couple of years. And there's an interactive map and you can pretty much find raw milk where almost everywhere you live. There's just a few states now where you can't find it. But and if you can't find it, uh, contact your nearest local chapter leader of the Weston A. Price Foundation, and they probably know of a source. <laughs> Absolutely. There's many, source. <laughs> there's many ways around it with uh, cow sharing yeah. and, and things like yes. that. And it's, it's, never, it's not illegal to purchase, possess, or consume raw milk. Mm-hmm. So you're not breaking any law by buying raw milk or, or being in a cow share program or whatever. Absolutely. And just to close out with a little anecdote, I was talking to um, a retired dairy farmer from where my husband and I grew up from. And he talked about he'll never forget back in the 50s, I believe it was when he got the letter from the state telling him he could no longer sell raw milk at the time and how many of his customers who had rheumatoid arthritis and asthma and different things came to him in tears because 
Um, they were once cured by this raw milk or very much suppressed their symptoms. And then now they um, didn't know what to do, that their life had been turned upside down. So that's how powerful it can be. Yeah. Yeah. And we have gradually just, we've been working on this for 25 years, chipping away at the state laws because this is uh, regulated state by state. And when we started, there were 27 states where you could get raw milk in one form or another. And now we're up to 46. So that's wonderful. We've just been patiently working at this. And if you feel that something needs to be changed in your state, contact us and we will, we'll see what we can do. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Sally, so much for your expertise and your time today. Thank, thank you so much for having me and join that 50% campaign. Yes.